0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 is where we're headed. We'll begin in verse 4 today as we continue our way through this fall's series, Thou Shalt Feast. Uh, And as you're turning there, I want to ask, uh, do any of you have any good old photo albums in your home? Yeah. All right. Someone's very excited uh, about their, their photo albums, right? Um, Caitlin and I were, were just talking the other day about kind of the tragedy that most of our photos these days live on our phones or just somewhere in the cloud. Right? So whatever that sort of obscure thing might be. Um, but, but there's just something special about being able to sit down and open up a photo album and see the pictures and the stories that come from them. Right? My my dad and my stepmom have a whole bookshelf of binders with photos of family vacations uh, while I was growing up. Um, every single binder is another year of some kind of family trip that we went on. And so a few months ago, we were over visiting them, and we actually pulled a couple of these off the shelf. And very quickly, I was a kid again at Disney World having breakfast, birth, a special birthday breakfast with Chip and Dale. Um, it was amazing. I was waiting in line to get a photo with Aladdin and Jasmine. Um, I was, I was getting a signature from Winnie the Pooh for my autograph book. Right, I mean, I was right there all over again. It was so fun. Or pulling down a different binder. I was a teenager exploring uh, these wonderful places, national parks, like the massive underground Carlsbad caverns. I'll never forget seeing that and learning the difference between stalagmites and stalactites. Um, uh, I remember on that same trip going to the epic Grand Canyon or uh, going to see the giant redwood forest, right? Once more, I was, I was right in all of that as we were looking through these photos, right? These expansive, natural places carved out a space in my soul. And as we were looking through these photo albums, it was good to be reminded of every one of these things. So if, if you have an old photo album, maybe pull it down. And flip through it and and see where it might bring you. So so ancient Israel did not have photo albums. Um, They didn't have cameras. They didn't have photographs. They didn't have anything like that. But they were in no less need of remembering their story. There were no less need of being reminded of who they were and where they had been on their journey with God. So instead of a photo album, God gave them a meal. Instead of a photo album, God gave them a meal. Instead of a binder full of photos, they had a plate of food. Each piece on the plate, a snapshot from their past. The meal I'm referring to is Passover. It is the first of Israel's annual feasts that we read about in Leviticus 23. So let's read its brief description, Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 4. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight, on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And then on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And for this meal of remembrance, to remember who you are, what you've done, and who we are because of what you've done. God, as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Leviticus gives us a pretty basic, brief, straightforward, technical description of the Feast of Passover, which is connected with the Festival of Unleavened Bread. It pretty much just tells us here's when it happens, how long it lasts. Passover takes place on the evening of the 14th day of the first month, and then the Festival of Unleavened Bread begins on the 15th day and lasts for seven days. The first and last days of this Festival of Unleavened Bread, you are to do no work, have a sacred assembly. It's sort of like Sabbath, special Sabbath, the beginning and end of this festival. So Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread go together. Uh, In fact, sometimes they're just referred to as Passover. Uh, All is one thing. Uh, It's sort of like Christmas Eve followed by the 12 days of Christmas, except it's Passover followed by the seven days of unleavened bread. They go together and they point back to the same event. They're different pages in the same photo album, so to speak. But to see these feasts in more detail, we need to look at their original context. So uh, flip back with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is where we get the full description of these feasts and where they come from. Now, Exodus is the book that tells the story of the nation of Israel and their exodus out of slavery. That's where it gets its name. And at the beginning of the book, they are enslaved in Egypt under harsh labor with the the Pharaoh king trying to diminish them and destroy them. In chapters 2 to 4, we see God call Moses to confront Pharaoh and bring the people out of Egypt. In chapters 5 and 6, we witness this very first confrontation with Pharaoh, and it does not go well. Pharaoh pretty much just laughs and then doubles all of Israel's work, right? Do more work now that you've tried to get yourself out of it. Well, then chapters 7 through 11 chronicle God's response. The infamous plagues that God brings upon Egypt these chapters are epic. They are apocalyptic as all kinds of crazy stuff happens. Water turns to blood. There are locusts and flies and frogs and hail and fire. It's just all kinds of stuff. There's a day of darkness, right? These are the epic plagues that we uh, see happen. Now, many scholars understand these plagues as relating to various Egyptian gods. Uh, The god of the Nile was confronted and overturned when the river was turned to blood. Uh, Their god of the sun was confronted and overcome with the plague of darkness. Right uh, there, there are several times where we see God almost directly at war with their supposed gods. A few times throughout all of this drama, Pharaoh comes close to letting the people go. But always, his heart stays hard. So, one more plague would have to come. One more attack upon Egyptian divinity. You see, Egyptians believed that Pharaoh himself and his heirs were among the gods. And so, this last and worst plague would be that the firstborn of Pharaoh And all the people in the land and even the animals would die. The firstborn would be destroyed. Now, I have to believe as I read this story and reflect on it, that this was no easy thing for God to encounter. I just have to believe that it pained God to allow such a thing to happen. God's natural inclination is love and mercy. God himself has said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But Pharaoh was merciless. Pharaoh chose death for himself and for his people. And so this judgment would come, and it would be the blow that finally sent the people out of Egypt and into freedom. And that brings us to Exodus 12, where maybe you've turned, and where Passover is introduced. So let's read the more detailed description of Passover here in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor." having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until the morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people And animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival. To the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And it goes on to describe some of the festival of unleavened bread that would follow and reiterates in verse 17 celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought you and your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. This is the expanded description from Exodus, of the Passover, and the festival of unleavened bread. The context is this judgment impending upon Egypt and the deliverance of Israel. But at its center, there's this meal. There's this meal, a photo album of snapshots that tell this whole story. So what's the meal? Well, verse 8, at its simplest, it's meat roasted over the fire with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Roasted lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread. That's the meal. And each one of these ingredients is a powerful reminder of this story the journey that God has led them out of enslaved oppression and into abundant freedom so let's consider each one of these ingredients what story does this meal tell let's start with the bitter herbs the bitter herbs not much is said in the text about the bitter herbs other than that they're there um, But every commentary I've read, including those by practicing Jews, says that the bitter herbs serve as a reminder of the bitterness of their slavery. The harsh conditions that they had lived under, which God delivered them from. See, Passover is a celebration at its heart. It's a celebration of freedom and deliverance that God has brought them into but it's also a time to remember the harshness of the captivity that they were delivered out of. Remembering the bitterness of captivity makes the sweetness of God's freedom even sweeter. There's a writer uh, who's written a book about some of the feasts in the Bible. Her name is Alicia Akins, and she reflects on this bitter herb remembrance regarding our deliverance from the slavery of sin. And she writes, Not until I see my slavery for what it was, in all its bitterness, can I see my deliverance from it for what it was. The deeper my understanding of my slavery, the more precious to me my rescue. The deeper I know how enslaved I was, the better and sweeter is the rescue from it. And so these bitter herbs, a reminder of the bitter conditions they were saved from, are an essential part of the meal. Next, there's the roasted lamb. The roasted lamb. Now this part of the meal is probably infused with the most meaning. We've been singing about the Lamb of God All morning. I don't know if you noticed that. Every song we've sung, worthy is the Lamb, right? Right? This is just, it it, it makes its way all the way to us, the the Lamb of God. This is probably um, the the most prominent uh, of of all of these things. So what does it mean? Well, probably the, the most obvious meaning of this is the protection that it represents. The protection that this lamb and the blood of the lamb represents. But the lamb also points to personal and communal involvement among the people as well. The blood of the lamb is this, is this significant sign of protection. All right. So, so let's start there. Verse 13 in Exodus 12 spells this out. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The blood is a sign for the people. It's a reminder to the people that God has protected them from destruction. Protected them from judgment. Though Pharaoh provoked God to judgment, he passes over his people in loving mercy. The blood on their doorpost is a sign of that protection. The blood is, is the most significant of these signs, but notice a few other things about the Lamb. Right? Though Passover begins on twilight of the 14th day, you might have noticed that preparation for it actually begins on the 10th day. Verse 3 says, On the 10th day, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And then down in verse 6, take care of your lamb until the 14th day of the month. There's something very personal about these instructions, right? This is not just a random lamb that they picked up and sacrificed on the day of. This is a specifically, specially selected, spotless, without defect lamb that they chose, they spent time with for a few days, they took care of it specifically for those few days. There's a personal connection, a personal involvement here. But this preparation time also has a community aspect to it. Verse 4 says, If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Right? Though Passover was essentially a family meal, a family gathering, it is not done without regard for neighbors and those beyond the family. Once more, the the writer I mentioned, Alicia Aikens, observes those who had enough to spare were to be mindful of the more isolated in their community. Deliverance for all was incompatible with every man for himself. Passover presses them into community with one another. They have to look out for one another. The meal calls the people to pay attention to their neighbors and care for those in need. Finally, there's there's one more thing to point out about the lamb. Notice how it's cooked. He gave instructions for this a couple of times. The lamb is to be roasted over the fire. Not boiled, not something else, roasted over the fire. Why? Why? Because this is how you cook when you're on the move. This is how you cook something while you're traveling. Uh, Just imagine for a moment a campsite with a makeshift fire in the middle of it and some freshly caught game being roasted over that fire. That's the image here of the lamb roasted over the fire. Roasting is the cooking method most closely associated with travel, being on the move. And so they are to roast the lamb is a sign that they're about to be on the move. They're about to be up and out of Egypt, headed into freedom. And that's the meaning of the last part of the meal as well, the unleavened bread. Bread without yeast can bake in mere minutes you put it into the heat. While the leavening process can take hours or even days, depending on what you're leavening. Verse 17 says, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought out. I brought your divisions out of Egypt. The fast-baking unleavened bread, along with the rest of the meal, was to be eaten in haste. Sandals on, cloak tucked in, staff in hand, as a sign of their swift deliverance out of Egypt. Over time, the leaven also takes on another meaning, though. right? It's it's a sign of their, their swift deliverance, but there's another meaning that begins to be attached to this leaven as well. You'll notice they're they're not only instructed to make bread without leaven, without yeast, but in verses 15 and 19, they're also instructed to remove every trace of yeast from their home. Take it all out. Get rid of it all. You see, the unleavened bread is a reminder of the people being quickly taken out of Egypt, but removing the yeast is a reminder that Egypt also needs to be taken out of the people. Egypt also needs to be taken out of the people. Do you hear what I'm saying? Later on in Exodus, they're out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness, they're free, but they're still living with an Egypt mindset. Their hearts are still set on the ways that they knew and were familiar with. They often looked back and even tried to go back. And the same thing is true for us, isn't it? Though we've been set free from sin, we still need sin and its effects to be taken out of us. Every trace of leaven must be removed. So the unleavened bread... And the removal of yeast not only points to the outer deliverance that God brings, but also to the inner transformation that he brings in the hearts and minds of his people. So this is the meal. This is the meal that we have. The bitter herbs are the snapshot of the harsh conditions of captivity. The roasted lamb is a snapshot of personal and communal protection. The Unleavened Bread is a snapshot of deliverance and transformation. This is the photo album called Passover. It's a means of remembering what God did. And this photo album is one that's meant to be preserved and passed down, as it says, multiple times for the generations to come. Exodus 12, verses 26 and 27 address this specifically. It says, When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Tell them. It's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. This meal This memory is one to be passed down from one generation to the next so that all might look back and see this is who God is. This is what God has done. And they kept it. For thousands of years, they passed this down. And thousands of years later, Jesus was among those who took this photo album off the shelf and celebrated the Passover meal. Luke 22 tells us of Jesus' Passover celebration. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go, make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment and the kingdom of God. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup it's the new covenant and my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus takes this ancient meal and he infuses it with new meaning. The bread of deliverance, it's Jesus. It's him. The blood of protection that's Jesus that's him uh, flipping through this old photo album every photo is one of Jesus Jesus is the one that we see in Passover Jesus is the bread of life The true Lamb of God who has come to deliver us from the bitter herbs of our enslavement to sin. And we see this in this meal. But we see it even more clearly when we zoom out and look at the whole week. Right, This week leading up to Jesus' Passover meal is known as Holy Week, traditionally. Right. It begins with Palm Sunday, where Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. People were waving palm branches. (laughs) Right. And then the week progressed. And on Thursday evening, Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples, as we just read. And later that night, he was arrested to be crucified on Friday. Well, from what we know in Exodus, Passover occurred on the 14th day of the month. And that means that Sunday, when Jesus was entering Jerusalem, was the 10th day of the month. So on the 10th day, as described in Exodus, when each family was selecting their Passover lamb, their spotless, without-defect Passover lamb. Jesus was entering Jerusalem, and the people waved palm branches and shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! As Jesus entered Jerusalem on the tenth day of the month, the people selected their Passover lamb. Throughout the week, as each family cared for their Passover lamb, preparing for the day. Jesus spent his time in Jerusalem among the people, personally speaking with, connecting with them. And then Thursday comes. The Passover lamb is to be slaughtered. Jesus shares this meal with his disciples and later that evening is ambushed, arrested, and led to the slaughter. Jesus is then sentenced to crucifixion and just as the blood of the Passover lamb was spread across the wooden doorpost, so Jesus' blood is now on the wood of the cross. Truly, Christ is our Passover lamb. He's not only a sign of our deliverance, protection, freedom, and transformation. Jesus is our deliverance protection, and freedom. He is the one who transforms the depths of who we are, turning us from the old into something new. It's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new, unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Every week, we come to this table We gather around the bread and the cup, snapshots in our family photo album. And we receive them in remembrance of Jesus. We take and participate in this meal because we need to remember. We need to remember this we so quickly forget. We will take this today, and by tomorrow, many of us will forget who we are, what God has done to bring freedom and transformation in our lives. And so we come back again every week to be reminded, this is who you are. Look at the family photo album. Remember what Jesus has done you're free, you're delivered, you're transformed. We come to the table to be reminded, but we also come, just as the Israelites did, to teach the generations that are to come about what God has done in Christ so that when a child asks, what does this mean, we can say, let me tell you. About Jesus. So uh, I want to do something a little bit different uh, this morning. As we move toward the table, I I want to invite uh, parents to, or at least one parent uh, from from each, to, to go and get your kids and bring them back so that they can be here and we can all be here together as we take communion and gather at the table. And as you go get them, we will sing a song. Let's stand and sing.